Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We are looking in chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1,532. Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it find that praises for their mighty king are coming from their own lips. What do... Elevators, Ziploc bags, and McDonald's drive throughs all have in common. They are all creations of modern convenience. They exist to make our lives easier. Convenience is often the motivating factor that drives invention. We want, our, we want to live our lives in a simpler fashion, and so we look for shortcuts that will save us both time and toil. Think about the modern student who does all of his research using search engines such as Google or DuckDuckGo. His studying is instantaneous. No longer does he need to to make that trip to the library where he would spend endless hours scouring different books trying to find the answers that he's looking for. If he wants to know about Attila the Hun, well, just a few short keystrokes and suddenly he's an authority on the subject. But with convenience comes a cost. Take that example of this student. When he Googles in Attila the Hun, he he arrives at thousands upon thousands of choices. And so it is hard for him to be certain that he is getting the most accurate information. And, And while such easy access has now trained his brain to think quickly, he has also lost the patience that comes from the hard work of thinking deeply. And as a result, his knowledge has become shallow. He knows facts about everything, but he knows little about anything. Convenience is not always beneficial. And it is in our passage for today where we will find that when it comes to God, convenience can be downright sinful. 
We have now arrived at what can be described as uh, the boiling point of Matthew's gospel. Just as a, a tea kettle builds up pressure within, Matthew has been slowly turning up the heat, bringing us to a point where, where the water is beginning to bubble. And it all hinges upon the fact that, that Jesus is no longer hiding who he is. He is lifting the veil, so to speak, in order that all may know that he is the Messiah. We, we saw this in the previous chapter as he was leaving Jericho and heading towards Jerusalem. If you recall, there were two blind men who, who publicly proclaimed Jesus as the son of David. And what is interesting is that, that Jesus did not try to silence them as he had done in the past. No, he, he openly accepted this title. And we saw the same thing on Palm Sunday, did we not? Jesus made it obvious to any who had eyes to see that, that, that he was this messianic figure as he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey to shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. And if you recall, we talked about the meaning of that word Hosanna, that it was a cry for help. That it could be literally translated as, please God, deliver us. And so when the crowds were shouting that out, when they were shouting Hosanna to the son of David, what they were basically saying was, God, please save us. And as they were saying that, they were looking to Jesus for that salvation. Well, you can imagine the, 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 the stir that this entrance of our Lord caused. The people, they were recognizing him as their king. But Christ was just getting started. For as we'll see in our passage for today, he, he would demonstrate his priestly authority as well as he took over the temple grounds. Look, look at our first two verses. Look at verses 12 and 13 once again. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, there is a lot that is going on in these two little verses. There are many questions that, that need to be answered. Where, who, what, and why? First, the where. We see Jesus has entered into this temple area where people were buying and selling. This would have been known as the court of the Gentiles. If you look at the monitors, look at the next slide. Look at the next one. What you see there is an image of what the temple most likely looked like during Jesus' day. And so what, what we see, this, this area, those grounds there, they, they roughly covered about five football fields worth of space. This is a huge, huge area. And the court of the Gentiles was that wide area that, that surrounded the inner courts of the temple. 
Now imagine this space filled with people. Imagine booths being set up everywhere, manned by these vendors and merchants. Imagine all the animals that would have been penned up, waiting to be purchased, only to then be slaughtered. This was the place where Jesus had gone, this court of the Gentiles. Now, the the, the court of the Gentiles was the furthest in that, that someone who was not a Jew could go in order to worship Yahweh. And it was also the furthest that, that, that a Jew could go if he had some type of defect, such as being crippled or being blind. This area was meant to be an extension of God's mercy towards both the Gentiles and those who were deemed unclean. But as Jesus entered in, he saw that it had been turned into a marketplace. Which brings us to the who. Who were those who were buying and selling? Who were the money changers and the ones selling doves? Those selling doves were the merchants. They were the the ones that provided the animals that the people needed to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Now what you have to understand is that when, when you have over a quarter of a million people crammed into one city all for the purpose of making these sacrifices, you're going to run into some logistical issues, are you not? And those who are business savvy, well, they see opportunity. I mean, why transport an animal from your own flock hundreds of miles when you can simply purchase one when you get there? Why go through all that hassle? This is the reason we see this market in the court of the Gentiles. These vendors, they may have been selling animals, but what they were really peddling was convenience. And they sold it for a considerable profit. But it wasn't just the merchants who were making a buck, for there were also the money changers. Now, these were the folks who who profited off the fact that that many who would come to this city were coming from distant lands, and thus they were carrying foreign currency. Well, in order to buy these doves and all the other animals, a, a person would need to use the temple currency. And so there was this interchange going on with with an, an exchange rate, which probably dwarfed the rates we see today. When all was said and done, a traveler, say, from Syria could be paying twice, if not three times, the value of the animal that he purchased. And yet, people were willing to pay that price for the sake of their convenience. Well, when Jesus saw all of this, it it infuriated him. For, for the court of the Gentiles had been turned into nothing more than, than, than a simple street bazaar. What was meant to be a solemn place of worship had become this loud ruckus of a market that, that was driven by a system of greed and convenience. Which leads us to the what. What did Jesus do? What actions did he take? Jeff mentioned it. He became angry. He became aggressive. Yes, our our, our Prince of Peace 
started to violently turn over these tables and, and chase the people out. And he berated them as he did so. Matthew is very clear here. He drove out all of those who were driving this system. Both those who were buying and those who were selling. Now, why did he do this? What made him so angry? We get the answer to the why in Jesus' own words. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus was quoting both Isaiah and Jeremiah to these men. It was the prophet Isaiah who looked forward to a time when when the temple would be a, a house of prayer for all nations. Look at Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you see it? Isaiah envisioned a day when the Gentiles would come to the house of the Lord in reverent worship. And yet this court of the Gentiles, this place that was supposed to be for them, had now become a marketplace and nothing more. But there's more. For Jesus also quoted the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what we read earlier in Jeremiah 7. Here we, 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 we see the prophet warning of a, of a cold-hearted and superstitious nature of those who were coming to the temple during his day. He spoke of people sinning and worshiping their false gods outside the temple gate and then entering in as if nothing was wrong. They would bring their sacrifices to Yahweh with little concern over their evil acts. For they viewed the temple system only as a means to an end. If I slaughter a, a few animals, then, then God's, he's got me covered. No need to change my behavior. No need for repentance. Look at, look at Jeremiah 7, verse 9. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe safe to do all these detestable things has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you but I have been watching declares the Lord Now, in our passage for today, Jesus speaks of this same practice. A sinful and idolatrous people looking for a covering and nothing more. Let's let's get our animal sacrifices in the most efficient way possible. Let's get it done with. Let's make it convenient so then we can get on with our lives. 
Dear friends, I hope you see why Jesus did what he did. What was supposed to be a solemn place of worship for all people had been turned into a system of profit and convenience. These people didn't view their worship of God as a transforming act, but rather as something that they needed to do in order to make sure that their sins were covered. It is no wonder that Jesus chased these people out. But I wonder if we would have done any better. How how have we turned our acts of worship into a thing of convenience? How many of us only go to church because it is the thing that we are supposed to do? That, That our attendance will somehow earn us favor with God? That if we come on this one day for this one hour, then he will overlook our discretions and then we can get on with our lives. How many of us worship without having a desire for him? Without having that longing for him to really change us from within? But do we even go to church at all? Uh, Ever since... This pandemic, most churches have moved to online services. And while there was a need for such a thing because of our circumstances, there is also a danger in having online church. For it it can become a means of convenience. Think about it. Right now, you could be sitting at, at your home, on your couch, in your pajamas, sipping a a warm cup of coffee while you watch everything on a screen. You don't have to shower. You don't have to brush your teeth. You don't have to scramble to get your kids ready. All right? Plus, you don't have to deal with all the other sinners that are sitting in the pews. For you have God in this nice little package. And all you have to do is click a little button and voila, you are worshiping. If Jesus was here today, I wonder if he would knock that camera over and then rip out all those cords. Listen, if... If your worship is just a means to an end, then it's not true worship. Worship should be transformative, not convenient. It should be something that you long to do because it is how you connect with the God that you love. Your your desire should be to grow deeper in your intimacy with Him and then to allow that ever-growing knowledge of Him to change you from within. But if your only thoughts are on how you can make this part of your life easier, then you are no different than the money changers and the sellers of doves, than those who are buying and those who are selling. Now when we put this all together, the the where, the who, the what, and the why, we discover something critical about Jesus. We discover that he had control over the temple. Think about that. 
How does one man chase out all those people? Five football fields worth of people. How does he do that? What kind of strength and command does that take? Why wasn't he arrested right there and right then? Why didn't the temple, temple guard come and throw him out? The answer is simple. Because Jesus is who he is. He is a mighty, mighty king. And he holds authority like none other. Remember, it was just moments before that he had entered into his city to shouts of Hosanna to the son of David. The people laid their cloaks before him. They made a runway of palm branches. Jesus had arrived as their king. And as their king, he was making his presence known. But not only was he their king, but he was their high priest as well. And as long as he was in town, the house of the Lord would not be profaned. Listen, Jesus could do what he did because he exuded an authority like none other. But our story doesn't end with the cleansing of the temple, does it? No. Jesus had more to say, more to do. Look at our next verse. Look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now that he had cleared the yard, Jesus set up shop in this court of the Gentiles. It was now free for him to perform his duties as their high priest. And so he began by ministering to those who were lowly and in great need. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He was cleansing those who had been deemed unclean. And what is interesting is he didn't need an animal sacrifice to do it. For a greater sacrifice was already present. The Lamb of God. And what's more, these healings, they were also another witness to Christ's authority and his power. He was making a public demonstration of who he is. I mean, the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. These miraculous signs were communicating to the world that, that someone greater than the temple was among them. And so in these two acts, the, the cleansing of the temple and the cleansing of the unclean, Jesus was announcing to the world that he is this son of David and that he was establishing his kingdom. But not everybody was happy about that claim. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. When you shake the tree in the manner that Jesus did, an apple is bound to fall. And this apple fell right on the heads of these religious leaders. You see, up, up until now, Jesus had been reticent to make the claim that he was the Messiah. 
Not because he doubted himself, but because the timing was not right. But on this day, on his arrival in Jerusalem, it's as if he did a 180. He made it known to all the world who he is. And for the chief priests and the, and the teachers of the law, this declaration of our Lord did not sit well. And yet, the religious leaders were unsure of what they should do. For, for Jesus had the crowds on his side. And if they tried to arrest him right then, it might cause an even greater stir and lead to riots. And so they did what, what any rational human being would do. They, what they did what they thought would be the least volatile. They tried to reason with him. Look at, look at verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Jesus, you need to correct these little ones about who you are. Don't let them continue on calling you the son of David. Let them know that you aren't the Messiah. That you have no power to, to answer their cries of Hosanna. Do you not hear what they are saying? Look how Jesus responds. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Jesus knew exactly what these children were saying, and he was not going to put an end to it. In fact, he took it even further, for he quoted a passage from the Psalms. Look at Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Here we see this poetic worship that is directed to Yahweh. The lips of children and infants are praising God. And yet Christ says that this was talking about him. Now these chief priests and the teachers of the law knew exactly what Jesus was quoting. And thus they knew exactly what Jesus meant. He was not simply claiming to be the Messiah, but to be God himself. Christ was laying down the gauntlet. He made an open declaration of who he is. And he was declaring that, that his kingdom had arrived. And that he was taking authority over all of it. And as we'll see as we go further into Matthew's gospel, as we get closer to the cross, that this claim of Jesus would lead to many, many challenges between him and these religious leaders. But this has meaning for us as a church as well. For the claims that Jesus made way back then are still true today. How will we view Jesus? Is he the master of this house? Is, does he have ownership over First Congregational Church of Allegan? And if he does, do we allow his word to hold sway over all that we do? Or do we fight back like those religious leaders who are trying to gain some type of semblance of control for themselves?
You see, the true worshipers in this story were the blind and the lame and the little children who shouted Hosanna to the son of David. They didn't come with greedy intentions. They didn't try to make their time with Jesus a convenience. No. They just wanted to be with him. They wanted to worship him. For them, it was simple. Christ was their king, and they desired to bow before him. Dear friends, let this be your desire as well. Understand that Jesus has command over his house, and that he is looking for worshipers who will recognize him as the king. Stop seeing church as some inconvenience, but make it your desire instead. Make him your desire. Be like those little children who cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. For when your first love is Jesus Christ, your worship of him will be anything but an inconvenience. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you too often that we make our worship of you something that suits our own desires and not what you desire. We want it to be easy. We want it to be convenient instead of letting it transform us. We ask now that you would change our attitudes, particularly when it comes to our worship of you that your Holy Spirit would move among us, that we might become true worshipers, and that your Son, Jesus Christ, might become once again our first love. We pray this in his name. Amen.